It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's today's special guest, Philip Hartman. So what we're going to be doing is, is, I guess Dan did the first one, we're going to be walking through different attributes or different characteristics of who God is. And we're going to be working through different, different revelations, particularly in the Old Testament, of the names or the nature of God. Okay, so for example, Nathan did talk about Jehovah Rapha. And Jehovah Rapha is the Lord who is our healer. And that's a revelation of the character of God in the Old Testament. Now, these are not all names of God per se, but they are a revelation of the character of God. For example, if you go back and you have Jehovah Nisi, do you guys remember Jehovah Nisi? Jehovah Nisi is Abraham up on the, the mountain sacrificing Isaac, and uh, he brings his hand up, and the Lord stops him, and you have the, the lamb that is sacrificed in his stead, and uh, that altar is named by Abraham Jehovah Nisi. So you have this altar named Jehovah Nisi, okay? So it's not necessarily a name of God so much as it is a declaration of who God is, and that's what we're walking through over these upcoming weeks. Yes? I'm sorry, Jehovah Jireh or Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Nisi is actually a different story in Exodus chapter uh, 13, 14, something like that. So yeah, thank you, Nathan. Everyone's like, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord who is our provider. So we're going to be walking for this morning an introduction to who Jehovah is. And, and we're going to introduce the name of Jehovah and walk through that a little bit. But why don't we pray, and then we'll dive in. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. We thank you for your revelation that though you had no obligation to reveal yourself to us, you have revealed yourself to us in your word. And we know for your revelation that you are the unchanging, everlasting, eternal God. Lord, we pray that we would receive your word as it is indeed the word of God. And that it would change us and impact us. And that we would see you as you are and that we would worship you as the one true God, in spirit and in truth. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And this is the first time that we see this name, Jehovah, revealed. Now, you guys just heard Nathan say Jehovah. I, I say Jehovah. I don't know why. That's how I've always said it. And that's how, I guess that's the way... Some people would say it's proper to say it. Some people say Yahweh. If you're really spiritual, maybe you say Yahweh. Okay? Uh, but all of those are the same exact name in the Old Testament. Okay? So Yehovah, Yahweh, Yahweh, Jehovah, uh, however you want to pronounce it, those are all the exact same name as used in the Old Testament. Now, why do they look very different when you have Yehovah and, and Yahweh, for example? Well, the reason why is because there's what called the tetragrammaton. Isn't that a cool word, the tetragrammaton? And the tetragrammaton is these four letters. Okay, so the four letters would be W-H, or sorry, Y-H-W-H. Those are the four letters that represent that name. And you can see those four letters in Yahweh or Yehovah, and then you can pronounce those different way. We actually don't know how this name, Yehovah, is supposed to be pronounced. And here's why. Jehovah is the proper name of God. 
And so the, the Jews, or the Israelites, lest they should blaspheme the name of God and take the name of God upon their lips in an unworthy manner, would use euphemisms instead of the real name. Okay, and a euphemism is, for example, like a classic euphemism is uh, you don't call your dad by his first name, you call him father or dad or daddy or something like that, right? So for Sabina to say, hey, Philip, would be really inappropriate, right? That, and I, I would discipline her for that. Why? Because it's a, it's a disrespect. And, and so we have a euphemism. She says, dad, dad, or daddy, right? I, I don't know if she can say Philip at this point anyways. Uh, but, but if she could, certainly I wouldn't let her, okay? Because it's, it's a euphemism to show respect. And, and we use this both for things of high regard and also euphemisms are sometimes used. Um, like, for example, a euphemism would be the restroom. Okay, that's a euphemism. So that I don't say something that would be inappropriate, I say the restroom. Okay? So it's both used of things that, that would be profane, but also things that are holy or, or showing respect for that. So, the Israelites, lest they should accidentally blaspheme and, and, and disregard the holy, holy name of God, they started writing this name as W or YHWH. And in the, only the priests knew how to pronounce this name. In fact, only the high priest, because it was only announced one time a year when this name would actually be pronounced in one place, which would be in the Holy of Holies. And they believed that it was so holy that if it was pronounced unworthily on that day, that the entire universe would implode. That was their view of this name, the proper name of God. So I can, as you can imagine, because only one man would pronounce it very quickly, it was no longer known how to actually pronounce this name. And that's why today we don't actually know exactly how it's pronounced, but we do know what it means, and we know the significance behind it. So about, I don't know, eight years ago, five years ago, something like that, I was on a flight to London, and I sat down next to these two Israelis. They had just gotten out of their military stint. You know, everybody in, in Israel goes through the military. So they had their three years in the military, they got out, and I guess they were doing their journey around the world before they settled down for their life or something like that. So they were traveling all around the world, and they were on their way back to Israel. So I started talking with them, and, and you know, 10, 15 minutes into the conversation, I said, well, what do you guys think about Jesus? And they said, whoa, we can't talk about him. Please don't, please don't bring that up again. I said, okay, well, no problem. What do you guys think about the book of Psalms? Oh, we love the book of Psalms. So then we spent the next seven hours talking about Jesus. And it was, it was great. And at one point I took them to a passage in, in Jeremiah 23 where it's revealed that, that the Messiah would be named Jehovah Siknu, the Lord who is our righteousness. And I said, Jehovah Siknu. And they both looked at me terrified. And they said, well, we don't say that name. We don't say that name, meaning Jehovah. And, and so Ivan begin to, be, begin to share with them about why I can say that name still with, with reverence and yet with boldness because of the confidence we have in Christ Jesus. And we begin to have this, this really neat conversation. But this is a name that is holy. It is a name that is to be reverenced. And not, not because of the name so much, but because of what it represents and the person that it represents. So this name was first revealed to the people of God 
through Moses or to Moses and then, and then to the people of God in Exodus chapter 3. Okay, and, and it's really important whenever you're studying scripture, you want to make sure that you first look at what does this mean to the people then, right? Oftentimes we skip that and we go straight to what does it mean to me, which is important that we get there, but in order to properly understand what it means to me, you've got to know what it mean, meant to them, right? So, Exodus chapter 3, the context of this is, of course, we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has a son named Joseph. Joseph goes to Egypt, saves the people through, through God's miraculous hand. Jacob then, with 70 people, comes into Egypt at Joseph's bidding. They then are there, they're multiplying like rabbits, and the Israelites try and stop them, and they keep multiplying like, like rabbits, and it's, it's, it's the nation of Israel has been formed now. They've been approximately 400 years enslavement, in Egypt, of course, we have Moses, who was raised up as deliverer, tries to do it in his own strength at the age of 40, goes to the backside of a desert, spends 40 years there, and here, in this time, when it's in a certain regard, Moses is living in a, in a place of despair, where, where he tried and failed, the people are still in bondage, and, it, and it's a time of, of hopelessness. And if you think about it, let me put it in these sort of terms. The United States has been a country for approximately 250 years. Now, now, the Israelites most likely knew that 400 years previous, God had made a promise to his people that he would deliver them up out of Egypt. And he had specifically even said it was going to be 430 years later that he would deliver them up out of Egypt. So God has made that promise. But America is approximately 250 years old. Can you imagine? I mean, we're talking like Christopher Columbus. And it's like God promised to Christopher Columbus. Right? That's the sort of thing that we're talking about. It's easy for us to say, oh yeah, 400 years later, why didn't they believe God? But that's a long time. And a lot of things that can lapse over that amount of time. And so here we have, there's this promise that's out there. And yet it's been a really long time. And Moses is in the desert, and then he sees this burning bush, and he has this encounter with God. So let's start in verse 13 here. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who... I am. I am who I am. This is the answer of what he should say to them. And he said, Thus shall you say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. What a statement. What a statement. Here God has revealed that he's going to go deliver the children of Israel. He says, Who shall I say is the one that sent me? I am who I am. What does this mean? This means he is the existing one. The I am. Meaning he exists with nothing apart from him being necessary for that existence. Nobody else can say that. Not one of us can say that. You exist for about three days without water. But you exist for just a few seconds without anything apart from you in the natural realm, right? Maybe a couple of minutes if you've got really good lungs. 
And of course we know that he upholds all things by the word of his power. So you exist apart from something else? Not at all. And yet he is the existing God. That there is no dependency that he has. He needs nothing. He's relying upon nothing. You go backwards 10 trillion years from now and 10 trillion years before the earth was ever created and God existed. He is. You can say he was, but, but that's an incomplete statement because he was, he is, and he is to come. All of that is wrapped up in the fact that he is. And you go 10 trillion times 10 trillion years from now and you recognize that God is no older than he is right now. He is not older than he is right now because he is. Outside of time, outside of any recollection or any sort of reference to you and I, he is. Now think about this in terms of Moses. Here Moses is, and Moses is thinking in terms of what am I going to tell the people as a, a statement of, of a credibility in terms of who is sending me to deliver them. How could you get any greater statement of credibility than the existing one or the self-existent one has sent me? The I am has spoken. 400 years before is as nothing to the I am. What a comfort to the Israelites. That in the, in the time in which they live, they're surrounded by these Egyptian gods, and you've got the God of war, and maybe he can do some things, and you've got the God of riches, and maybe he can do some things, and you've got, the, right, of course, all false gods, but, but this is the thinking of the day, and yet then here Moses says, How do, who do I tell him sent me? The I am. It's God's answer. And God said, moreover, unto Moses, Thus shall you say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, and the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. So now he's, he's clarifying that this is all the same God. The I Am was the one who was revealed to them as the Almighty God. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. A memorial, what is a memorial about? It's something that is, is placed out there by which something will be remembered. Right? So you have a memorial to this and a memorial to that, and you've got you know, memorial highways to help you remember a war or this or that. And he says, my memorial, the way in which I'll be remembered by all generations, is that I am. This is my name forever. And of course we know that a name represents more than just a, 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 some sort of verbal command by which you are known, but it's your character, your reputation, the person behind it. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 6, just a couple chapters later here. So Moses, though a little bit hesitantly and, and with a little bit of disobedience mixed in there, goes to Egypt and you have this showdown where, where, of course, you have a rod becoming flesh, which is an amazing statement uh, in and of itself. But you have a rod becoming flesh, and, and then you have them with their rods, and his snake gobbles up their snake. And then Pharaoh hardens his heart, and he increases the task load of the Israelites. And so now 
the, the Egyptians are against Moses, the Israelites are against Moses, and he, he's sort of in a hard place. Okay, so he goes back to God and sort of complains. And, and if you go to verse 22 in chapter 5, he says, So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? What a, what a silly question. God had already told him that. He says, For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither of you delivers your people at all. Moses has completely forgotten what God said. God said, I am which means that his purpose cannot be annulled, which means as the self-existent one, what he says he will do, you can guarantee it, it will be done. And then Moses says, I tried once, God, why did you bring trouble on the people and you didn't do it? Okay, and look what God answers him. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of, this land, of his land and God spake to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. Okay, well, if you look at the Hebrew here, this is I am Yahweh, okay, or Yehovah. And typically in the Old Testament, whenever you see Lord, some Bibles have it in, in lowercase, some have it in uppercase, but almost every time when you see the word Lord in the Old Testament in, in reference to God, it's Yehovah, okay? So it's usually translated as Lord and Jehovah is the third person of what God said in Exodus chapter 3. So he says, I am that I am. But when we're referring to God, we don't say that I am that I am. We say he is. Just like it says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, that he who comes to God must believe that he is. Essentially, that is a statement of the name Jehovah. Does that make sense? So God says, I am that I am. And then we have the name Jehovah, which is he is. So he's telling Moses, I am Jehovah. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not know this name of Jehovah. But now he is appearing to Moses as Jehovah. Now, just one quick note on this. If you read the book of Genesis, you'll actually see the term Jehovah quite often in reference to God. Even in his discussions with Abraham, he is referred to as Jehovah. Do you guys remember who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses. So isn't that a neat picture? They hear Moses, when he looks back and writes the book of Genesis, he, even though the name Jehovah was not originally used, he puts in the name Jehovah, recognizing that the God who appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is Jehovah. Isn't that neat? So that's, that's what we have here, though. It's the first time that this name is revealed. He says, I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I've also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I've remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will rescue you from their bondage and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and of great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will give to Abraham, sorry, and I will give, sorry, and I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. And you'll see this statement all throughout the Old Testament, where God will make a promise. I'm going to bring you into the land. 
I am the Lord. In fact, not only when he makes promises, but when he gives commands. Go read the book of Exodus or Leviticus, and you'll see that when he gives a command, he'll say, do X, Y, Z, I am the Lord. Do X, Y, Z, I am the Lord. I'm going to do X, Y, Z, I am the Lord. You see, you have this idea of, as the self-existent one, his command is both binding, but his promise is an assurity. And so he tells you what he's going to do, but then he tells you who he is that is going to do it. And that is the, the, the way in which we bank upon what he has said he's going to do. You see, if I tell you I'm going to do something, it may or may not mean that much to you. You know, if, if uh, a homeless man tells you he's going to give you a million dollars, you probably assume he's on drugs that day. Right? And yet God, when he says, I will do this, I am the Lord. What a surety that we can build upon. What a surety for Moses in the midst of his time. I will bring you into the land. I am Yahweh. I am the self-existent and eternal God. Now, has anybody talked about the Septuagint at all? Yeah, recently, a little bit. Let me just share a little bit about what the Septuagint is. So, Alexander the Great goes through his rampage, conquers most of the known world at that time, and about 300 years before Christ, there were 70 um, Hebrew scholars that were gathered together, and they were, they were commissioned by the king of that time. It wasn't Alexander the Great, but it was the king of that time to translate the Old Testament into the Greek, okay? And Septuagint means the 70, okay? And, and so you, you have this, this translation, and it was translated from the Hebrew by Hebrew scholars into the Greek. This is the primary translation that you see Jesus and his apostles quoting from. Have you guys ever noticed that sometimes Jesus slightly misquotes the Old Testament? The reason why is because he's quoting from the, the Septuagint, which would be the Greek translation, and so it comes out slightly different. Whereas our translation in, in the Bibles that you're reading from would have been translated directly from the original Hebrew. Does that, does that make sense? So you have this, this translation as the Septuagint. So it can be really interesting to go back and see how the Hebrew is translated into the Greek because those same terms oftentimes are carried through and used in the New Testament, particularly because you see Jesus and his disciples quoting from the Greek, and so you know they were very familiar with this and would have used terms that were used in the Greek translation or the Septuagint of the Old Testament. So, if you go to Exodus chapter 3, when God says, I am that I am, in the Septuagint, the term is ego I me. And ego I me is this idea of, of I am that I am in the Greek. Okay, now in some tenses it can be used to also just say like, I am Philip. Does that make sense? Just like in, in the Hebrew as well. So you can't always use it that way, right? You can't always translate ego I me as meaning I am the self-existent one. But the way that Jesus uses this term makes it very clear that he is referring back to the Exodus chapter 3 passage when he refers to himself as ego I me or as the I am. One of the places is, is John chapter 8. So come there with me. 
John chapter 8. And you'll see him, especially in the book of John, pointing this out when Jesus says it. Boy, time flies. I've gotten through half a page of my notes, and I've got six pages. So, but it's okay. We can, you can study that later. So, for example, in, in verse 12... Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. But I want you to go to verse 28 with me. Verse 28. And Jesus says to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. Now, how many of your translations say he in there after I am? A bunch of them. Are they in italics? Hopefully so. They're typically in italics there because that word he is not in there. And it's an unfortunate thing that they stick the word he in there because it actually confuses the passage of my view. The word he is in italics because it's not there in the Greek. What he is saying is, when I am lifted up, you will know that I am. Isn't that a powerful statement? Because you have God... In, in Exodus chapter 6, saying, when I have brought you out of the, the, the land of the Egyptians into the land, you will know that I am the Lord. And then Jesus says, when I have been lifted up, you will know that I am. That he is the self-existent one. Go a little bit further down in the passage. And, and in the context here, he's telling them that they're children of a the devil. They're arguing that they're children of Abraham. And, and that's where you, you start. We'll start in verse 54. And Jesus says, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. <laughs> Jesus is so blunt. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. That is probably one of the moments in history, if I could pick any, that I would love to be there for. What happens? Then they took up stones to throw at him. Okay. Now some people like Jehovah's Witnesses or Jehovah's Witnesses, what they'll do is they'll actually take this and twist it in the scriptures and say, I should mean something else. You know how I know that he meant I am in terms of just like God in Exodus chapter 3? Because they took up stones to stone him. Why would you do that? Because if anybody blasphemes the name of God, meaning takes that name of God on unworthily, which if he was a mere man to claim that he was the I am, it's called blasphemy. And it was their duty to stone him. And so we know that we're interpreting it right because we're interpreting it the same way as the people that were standing there listening to Jesus were interpreting that. They interpreted that as him claiming to be the I am. A couple other passages. Go to, go to John. Well, there's so much we could go through here. Hmm. 
go to John 18. John 18. This is a Garden of Gethsemane. Judas has betrayed Jesus. He's brought a band out to, to uh, arrest him. And it says this in, in, verse four, in verse 4. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? This is of a band of men that are seeking. They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am. Again, if your Bible says he there, it's italicized because it's not there. He said to them, I am. And they drew back and fell to the ground. Can you imagine? What an epic scene. But here you have this, this whole band of soldiers, and, and they say, who are you looking for? Now, we know Jesus didn't say, I'm the guy. Because if Jesus said, I'm the guy, they wouldn't all fall back and poof. But Jesus made this declaration, I am. And poof, they all fall over. What an amazing thing. And so oftentimes, when we read Exodus chapter 3, we think, Jehovah, that's the Father. In the New Testament, you have Jesus, and you have the Holy Spirit, but it's not so. Jehovah is the eternal living God. The one true God. Jesus is, is part of that, that Godhead or that Trinity, Jehovah in the flesh. In fact, did you know what Jesus' name means? It means Jehovah, his name is Yahshua, right? In the Hebrew, which the first part, Yah, you can see that from Jehovah, Yah, Shua, which is to save. So his name literally means the I am will save. Isn't that amazing? So we'll close up with this. Throughout the, the Old Testament, you have these different Jehovah compounds. And that's, that's my term. I think some of people use that term. Uh, but a Jehovah compound, meaning you have Jehovah. But, but in some ways, Jehovah demands a second word because the second part of the word Jehovah is actually this, it's in a causative form, which means he, it's like he is, and he, he is actively causing. Does that make sense? And, and so you have these different compounds where the name Jehovah would be coupled together with, with that which he is causing. Okay? So, for example, you have Jehovah Nisi. That's in the book of Exodus, which means the Lord who is my victory. Now, do you recognize how powerful that is? When, when you recognize that this is not just us trying to drum up victory, but that our victory is found in the I am. And if he himself is our victory, and he is the existent, eternal, unchanging God, did you know the nature of the victory that we have? is not dependent upon any man, but that it's wrapped up in the existent eternal God. So the nature of our victory is the nature of God. Which means nothing can conquer it, nothing can remove it, nothing can change it. What an amazing statement. You have Jehovah Ra, the Lord who is my shepherd. You see, a wolf can kill an earthly shepherd, and yet if the I am is your shepherd... No wonder we can lie down in peace, as it were. Jehovah Rapha, that the nature of this healing, or the one who is doing this healing, is the self-existent, eternal, unchanging God. 
Yehovah Shammah, the Lord who is there. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And this is the I am. Yehovah Mekedesh Kim, which is the Lord who sanctifies us. Do you recognize that the, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in your life is of the same quality of the I am? Meaning, he's faithful to get the job done. Because he is the I am. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. That this provision of the Lord, namely in the person of the Lord Jesus, is the I am himself. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord who is our peace. Is that the quality of peace in your life? In other words, the quality of the peace in your life should actually be the quality of the one who is our peace. As Nathan says, it's not that he gives you peace, but that he is our peace. And is the eternal, unchanging, existent one. He is our peace. And Yehovah Sabaoth, which we'll actually talk about tomorrow. Would you worship him as this self-existent God? Would you actually live in light of this? In other words, this isn't supposed to just be a nice theory but, but for Moses, this was the reality upon which his life and the entire life of the nation of Israel was staked. And you also recognize that this reality is the reality upon which our salvation is staked. Because if Jesus is not the I am, he does not have the power to save. This is something we fight for as believers the deity of Jesus Christ, the I amness of Jesus Christ is not something that we take sitting down because the entire gospel hinges upon this reality. And your life as a Christian hinges upon you believing this reality. Let's pray. Father, we pray that this wouldn't just be a, a, a nice meditation, but Lord, that, that where we see you as less than the I am, where we've diminished you or put you in a box or, Lord, I pray that you expand our view of you. That somehow we would see a little bit more of the reality of your majesty and grandeur as the I am. And Lord, what a reality that Jesus is the I am saving us and that he ever lives to intercede on behalf of those who have come to God through him. It's in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday morning. Join us at live.ellersley.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellersley campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.